Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Again, good morning and welcome to Silverdale Baptist Church. I am so glad that you're here. I'm Tony Walliser. I'm one of the pastors here at Silverdale. I get the privilege each week of sharing with you God's Word. So this is what I want you to do. Go and take your Bibles, open your scriptures to the second book of the Bible. It's the book of Exodus, chapter 3. You can take out your smartphone, open that app as well. And then do this as well. Take out these Bible study outlines that we provide for you. That way you can follow along and take notes as we study God's Word together. We're beginning a brand new series for the next five weeks called Hope Has a Name. And what we're learning to do is how to experience hope in hopeless situations. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at different names of God that he's revealed to his people in the Old Testament. And every time God encounters these folks and reveals this name to them, they find themselves in a place of hope despite the hopeless situation they're in. And so let me ask you, is there hope? In a hopeless situation? Can, can you find hope even when you're facing fear? Is there hope when you're walking through the, a tragedy? Or is there hope when your finances are gone? Is there hope whenever your family's breaking apart? Or maybe is there hope whenever the doctor uses the word cancer or your spouse says divorce? Is there hope in those situations? Absolutely. But can I tell you something? It has nothing to do with you. It is all in Jesus Christ. And I love the way the writer of Hebrews talks about this picture of our hope. It's found in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. Look at this passage. I love this. It says this, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. You have an anchor for your soul. You may go, well, anchor, what does that mean? Well, I mean, for us land dwellers, it's a piece of iron that is attached to a boat. And whenever the boat lowers it down into the bottom of the sea, it, it, it grabs a hold of like a rock, and then it steadies the boat. So when the storms come and bang against that boat, it remains steady and secure. And if you have a boat that doesn't have an anchor, it's always going to drift, and it'll typically drift into the shoreline and into the rocks. Well, it's the same way with you. If you don't have an anchor for your soul, you'll drift. And you'll drift into despair and hopelessness. And so you've got to have an anchor for your soul, and that anchor alone is Jesus Christ. And so what we're going to discover over the next five weeks, we're going to look at five different individuals in the Old Testament. Most of them are going to be in the book of Exodus. 
And we're going to see that they're in this hopeless situation, and yet God reveals himself in a new way to them through a new name of God, and that new revelation of God is going to give them the hope that they need. And that's why this series is called Hope Has a Name. And today, what we're going to do, we're going to start with a character, this guy named Moses. Now, where we're going to find Moses in Exodus chapter 3 is that Moses is now 80 years old. He's been living as a nobody on the backside of the desert. He's blown it. He's failed. He's, he's messed up his life royally. And now he is this anonymous sheep herder. And one day while he's in the desert, literally herding his sheep, he observes this bush that's burning, but it's not being consumed. And he goes to investigate it, and God speaks to him. It's found in Exodus chapter 3, beginning verse 4. Look at what God's word says. God called out to him from the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. Do not come closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then God continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I've observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings, and I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now down at verse 9. So, because the Israelites cry for help has come to me, and I've also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them, verse 10, therefore, Moses, go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh, so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses asked God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He answered, God answered, I will certainly be with you. Verse 13, then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, what is his name, what should I tell them? This is what you're to tell the Israelites. God replied, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now, anytime that we think about Moses, what do we imagine? We imagine Charleston Heston, right? I mean, the guy's a superhero. I mean, his life is epic. Think about it. I mean, goodness gracious, you have the Exodus. You got the parting of the Red Sea. You got the miracles. You, you got water from a rock. You, you've got the manna in the desert. I mean, you have the Ten Commandments right? I mean, that's the way we think of Moses. We think of Moses as a superhero. He's got an epic life. But today in Exodus chapter 3, this is all before any of that. He's not any of that. You know who Moses is? Moses is a loser. He's a failure. He's blown it. He's an he's 80-year-old nobody shepherd outside in this desert. Now, he was raised for the first 40 years in Pharaoh's palace. He had this royal education. I mean, he had everything. He had wealth. He had power. He was good-looking, the Bible says. And then he did something. He blew it. He made a mistake. He decided that he was going to deliver his people on his own strength. And so what does he do? He sees an Egyptian abusing a Hebrew, and he kills that Egyptian. He thinks nobody sees him, you know, buries that dead body in the sand, but that body was recovered. And suddenly, Moses is on the top 10 most wanted list in Egypt. And he flees, and he's lived as a fugitive for 40 years. He's now this anonymous herder of sheep on the backside of the desert. That's who Moses now is. He's a complete failure. 
And I could just imagine over these next 40 years that Moses over and over again replays what he did and go, stupid, 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 what did I do, right? And so suddenly on this day, God shows up and speaks to him through this burning bush. And he says, God says, Moses, I'm calling you. And Moses is like, what? <laughs> me? I'm a nobody. I'm a complete failure. You can't use anybody like me. I stutter, right? And yet through this encounter and the revelation of God's name to him, Moses becomes the deliverer of God's people. How? He found hope in the midst of his hopelessness. And it's the very same way for you. Whatever you're going through right now, I'm telling you, through the revelation of God and his names and his character to you, you can find hope in your hopelessness. You go, how? Well, I want you to jot this down in your outline. The four-step process that God brings um, Moses through. The first one is this. Jot this down in your outline. First of all, you want hope? You got to remember that God is at work. Jot that down. God is always at work. Can I tell you something? That God has a sovereign plan and he's working that plan? Now, here's the deal. We don't often see it. We, we many times are going through life and we're going through difficult circumstances. And we go, God, you don't seem to be working at all here. God, I thought you were working. I don't see you working, right? I mean, think about it. Here's Moses, now 40 years as a failure on the backside of the desert. And he's probably thought many times, God, I figured something would happen. Here I am, 40 years. I don't feel like you're working, God. And yet... God was working. In fact, one of the most liberating things that I can say to you is that God is still working. God's still working in your life. God's still working in the lives of the people around you. In fact, this is what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, God's still working. Say that. God is still working. God's still working. Look at it. It's found in Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. Look what God says. The Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt. And I've heard them crying out because they're oppressors. I know about their sufferings, and I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to the, a good land, spacious land, land flowing with milk and honey. Now, I love those verses. It's all first-person pronouns. Did you see it? I, 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 God says. I have seen. I have heard. I am concerned. I'm about to do something. I'm about to rescue some folks. I love that verse, right? And that's the point. God says, I'm working. You may not see it, but you got to know God's working. Now, you may go, well, well, what about Pharaoh? I mean, Pharaoh, he's, he's the king, man. He's the most powerful man on planet Earth. His army is massive. But what, what about Pharaoh? And God says this, you know what? I've sized Pharaoh up, and he's going to be just a little pawn in my big plan. Can I tell you something? Nobody's going to stand against God. God's got a plan, and he works his plan, and nobody stands in God's way. God says, I'm going to deliver my people, Israel, out of Egypt, over a million people out of slavery, and I'm going to take them to the promised land. Ain't nobody going to stop my plan. Okay? So God's always got a plan, and he's always working it. And if you want to have hope in your hopeless situations, you got to hang on to the belief. Okay, God, you're working. Don't see it, don't understand it, but I'm believing you're working, okay? Second way you find hope in hopeless situations is this. Jot this down. Number two, you got to know that God makes promises, and God keeps his promises. God makes promises, and he keeps those promises. You see, this is how you have hope. 
Because many times you don't see God working in your life. You don't see the answer to prayer that maybe you're looking for. And so the only thing that's going to sustain you and give you the hope that you need in that hopeless situation is clinging to, resting in, depending on the promises of Almighty God. You see, God made a promise to the nation of Israel to bring them to the promised land. It's called the promised land. God made a promise, right? I mean, think about it. They have lived 400 years in Egypt. That's longer than our nation has been around. 400 years. Now, at first, it was great. I mean, Joseph was the right-hand man of Pharaoh. They got the best land, the land of Goshen. I mean, God was blessing the Israelites. They, They multiplied into a nation of over a million people. And that's why the Egyptians made them slaves. But over the last few generations, oh, my goodness, they've been oppressed. They've become slaves. But God made a promise that he was going to deliver them. It goes all the way back in the book of Genesis. God made this promise to Abraham. Look at it. It's found in Genesis chapter 15, verse 13. Look at what God promises to Abraham. Then the Lord said to Abram, know this for certain. Your offspring will be resident aliens for 400 years in the land that does not belong to them and will be enslaved and oppressed. However, I will judge the nation they serve and afterwards they will go out. Did you know that God predicted all this? That God had predicted even how long they were going to be in Egypt. But God then promised they're going to be delivered. Well, many years later, the great-great-grandson of Abraham remembered that promise. His name was Joseph. And Joseph, before he died, he brings in all of his descendants, and he says, look, I want you guys to make a vow, a promise to me, that whenever God does deliver you, You take my dead body bones and you get them out of here and you take them to the promised land because that's where God has promised to take you. Look at it. It's found in Genesis chapter 50, verse 24. It says this, Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will certainly come to your aid and bring you up from this land to a land he swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Joseph made the sons of Israel take an oath. When God comes to your aid, you are to carry my bones up from here. And that's how the book of Genesis ends. It ends with God's promise. And now the book of Exodus begins. And God is reminding his people of his promise. That's what God is saying to Moses. Here it is. Look at it again. Verse 8 of Exodus 3. I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians to bring them from the land to a good land, a spacious land, a land flowing of milk and honey. God makes promises, and God is always going to fulfill his promise. And you may go, well, why are you belaboring this? Because this is the key, folks. If you're going to really have hope in hopeless situations, when you're not even sure where God is working at, the only way to have hope in that situation is clinging to, resting in the promises of Almighty God. God gives us a promise, and God always fulfills his promise. You can always take it to the bank. A Bible scholar many years ago counted up all the promises that God made to his people. And he calculated this, that in the Bible there are 5,467 promises. Now, I haven't personally gone through and counted all those. I'll just take him at his word, right? But think about that. 5,467 promises, and the Apostle Paul in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians says they are all yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Every one of them. God has made a promise to you. And so what does God do? God says, if you want to find hope in hopeless situations, you've got to stand on my promises. That's what Abraham did. That's what Joseph did. That is what God's teaching Moses to do. And that's what you've got to do as well. You've got to believe the promises of God. 
And so is there going to be hope for you? Yes. Well, what happens if your finances are in bondage or your health is declining or you're in a desert place in your life? You stand on the promises of God. And if you will, God will give you hope through that situation. Max Licato is an incredible pastor and author, a Christian author. And he just came out a book recently called Unshakable Hope. And that entire book is based on this one premise. That God makes promises to his children. And the only way that we as God's children will find hope in hopeless situations is standing on and believing the promises of God. Now, in this book, he has a declaration that he asked for his readers to make out loud. I've put it in your bulletin there, and I want us to say it out loud together, okay? I want you to fill your lungs with air, but I want you to fill your heart with hope as we say this together. Ready? Let's say it together. We are building our lives on the promises of God. Because his word is unbreakable, our hope is unshakable. We do not stand on the problems of life or the pain of life. We stand on the great and precious promises of God. Can I hear an amen? That's where it is, folks. God wants to give you hope in your hopeless situation. You got to believe God's working even though you don't see it. And you choose to believe and stand on the promises of God. But then God does a really cool thing. The third thing is this. Shout this down. God invites nobodies. God invites nobodies to join him in his amazing work. See, that's who Moses now is. Moses is an 80-year-old nobody. And um, God's going to use him to become a deliverer. Now, what's cool about this is that whenever God comes up with a plan, because God is great and God has complete confidence in himself to work his plan, God can then choose whoever he wants to choose to be a part of that plan. And you know what God often does? God often chooses the weakest, the slowest, the poorest, those that are having the hardest time, those that are struggling the most. You know what? God doesn't, you know, oftentimes he doesn't choose the brilliant. He, he chooses, you know, people like us, right? Why? Because whenever God does something amazing, God gets all the glory, right? You see, we as humans, we, we get it all in reverse, what we think is this, okay, if we're going to be successful, we need to get some brilliant people in here. We, we, we need to get some successful people. We, we need to get some, you know, you know, some rich people. You know what would be great? We need a celebrity here in our church so that God can be glorious. Can I tell you something? God don't need no celebrities. He's glorious all by himself. God doesn't look for celebrities. God looks for just normal people like you and I. And see, what we do is we want to be large and in charge, and we want to control things. And when things get out of control, what do we do? We get all stressed out. Well, that's where Moses is at. So God says, okay, I'm going to do this, and then he looks to a complete failure, nobody like Moses. And look at what God says. Verse 10, therefore, God says, Moses, go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, what's crazy is God says, I'm coming down, I'm about to deliver. The big eye of God turns to the little you of Moses and says, Moses, you're my man. And Moses freaks out. So would you, so would I, right? Look at it, verse 11. But Moses asked God, look at it, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And he, and Moses is like, are you kidding me? 
Did you call up the wrong bush or something? Is somebody else here? I mean, you've made a mistake here, God. I'm a loser. I mean, I'm a nobody. I'm a complete failure. I mean, I know who gets an audience with Pharaoh. It ain't nobody like me. You see, that's our problem. Many of us, like Moses, fall into this incorrect belief about God and about life. See, Moses had believed and adopted the world's view that if you're going to be successful and great and powerful, you have to be somebody. For 40 years in Pharaoh's palace, Moses got a BS degree. Be somebody. If you're going to really do something great, you got to be somebody, right? He got a BS degree, and can I just tell you, it's BS, all right? You tracking with me? And so then for the next 40 years, what happened? But Moses got a BN degree. What's a BN degree? Be nobody. He became a nobody. He, he, he's totally inadequate. He's an absolute failure. He's a fugitive from the law. He's an absolute nobody. And God says, now I can use you. You see, whenever you really thought you were something in and of yourself and you tried to deliver to Israel in your own strength, you absolutely failed. But now that you've spent 40 years and you realize what a failure you are, you're just the person I can use. That's the way God is, right? Let me ask you something. Quick poll. How many of you feel inadequate for some of the things God calls you to do? Anybody besides me? Let me put it this way. Any parents here, right? You get that, right? You feel totally inadequate of this job. Uh, several years back, I read a true story about this lady, a mom named Mindy McIntosh. And um, it was a summer night, and one of her kids was complaining about mosquitoes in their bedroom. So she doesn't want to turn on the light and, you know, um, wake up all the kids. So she grabs a can of insect repellent, and she sprays in the room. And then she, you know, goes to bed. Well, the next morning, she wakes up to her horror as she turns on the light that she didn't grab insect repellent. She grabbed black spray paint and cover the children and the blankets and the walls with black spray paint. When I read that story, I'm like, okay, I'm not all that bad. You know, this is okay. I'm not a complete failure. <laughs> I mean, we, we all feel inadequate sometimes, and that's okay. So God says, okay, now I can use you. As long as you're full of yourself, full of your arrogance, full of your self-righteousness, or full of your, your own ability, God says, you know what, I can't, I can't use people like that. But once you realize you're a nobody without him, God says, that's the people I can choose to use. And so think about this. You want to hope in hopeless situations, you believe that God's working, stand on his promises, know that he's inviting you, but then here's the fourth thing. Jot this down. Number four is this. You got to believe that God is great. You got to understand the greatness of our God. Your hope comes to your soul when you understand just how great and awesome God is. And so Moses, in verse 11, goes, God, I can't do that. And so God tries to encourage Moses. And so what does God say? God says, hey, Moses, I'm going to be with you. Right? Look at it, verse 12. He answered, God answered Moses, I will certainly be with you. Well, Moses isn't convinced. Moses basically says, so what? What does that mean? Who are you? Verse 13. Then Moses asked God. If I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name, what should I tell them? Verse 14, God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. You know what I find real interesting about this conversation is what God does not say to, to um, Moses. 
God doesn't say, oh, Moses, you're insecure and you don't think you can do it. I know what we need to do. Let's send Moses to the center of you can do a training camp, right? Let's, let's, stro- oh, you, you, got a, you got a low ego? Oh, you, you don't think you can do it? I know. Let's just, let's get a boatload of come on, Moses, believe in yourself, right? Again, I'm not against encouraging one another. I'm not. But God doesn't do that. He, he doesn't. Because can, can I tell you something? My esteem is not built up by thinking that I can or that I'm good or that I'm great or look at me, I can do it. You know what really builds me up? Knowing that Almighty God is with me and he is great and he is good and I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That is the key. We've got to realize I'm not, but he's I am. You see, what we often do is we, we maximize, magnify the things we shouldn't, and we minimize the things we should maximize. I mean, think about it. What we do is in the circumstances of life, they become so overwhelming to us. And we, we look at our little self and go, oh my goodness, I can't do this. This is, this is a hopeless situation. These circumstances are beyond my ability, and they are. And then because we, we focus so much on the circumstances of life, we minimize God. But what God is trying to do is saying, Moses, you need to magnify me. You need to see how awesome, how great I am. And then everything else will come in its proper perspective. We need to learn to magnify Jesus. And so that's what God says. Look at it, verse 14. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. That's how God describes himself, I am. Now I gotta admit, if if I was Moses and I'm like, I am, what does that mean? I am what, I am who, I'm Sam, who are you, right? But did you know that the Hebrews, the Jews, that became the personal, most holiest name of Almighty God? It's Yahweh. And you go, well, what does the word Yahweh mean? It just simply means this, he is. That's it. I mean, God says I am, The Jews will say, he is. It's translated in your Old Testament as capital L-O-R-D. He is, Yahweh God. You go, okay, well, well, again, what does that mean? Well, I, I see at least three things that the name I am means. And I'll put it on your outline. The first thing I see that I am means is that God is eternal. He is I am, right? He has no beginning. He has no end. He's always existed. He is I am. He's the eternal God, which means he's your creator. But not only that, I am also means that God is self-sufficient. He's the self-sustaining one. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't need anyone. He's the source of everything. He's complete in and of himself. What does that mean? That means he's almighty God. And then what's the third thing? God is also, he's unchanging. I mean, everything in our life changes. The weather changes, society changes, technology changes, our wayside changes, everything changes. But God doesn't change, folks. Look what the Bible says, Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is, he's not changing, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if God is eternal, that means he's your creator. If God is all self-sufficient, that means he's almighty God and he's able. And if God is unchanging, that means he's faithful. He will do what he claims he will do. Do you understand that God is bigger than your imagination can ever make him? 
that there are no human words, there's no language that we can use to express how amazing and incredible our God is. And so God doesn't boost Moses' self-esteem. You can do it, Moses. No, he just says, I'm with you, Moses, and I'm the great I am. And that's everything you need. You see, you take a nobody, and you add a somebody, and you got everything you need. I love this book written by Louis Giglio called I Am Not, But I Know I Am. And it's this story. And I love that Louis tells a, um, he just imagined this dialogue between Moses and the people of Israel when he first goes to Egypt to talk with them. And Moses comes to them and says, um, God has asked me to help deliver you from Egypt. And they go, Moses, you're going to deliver us? And Moses goes, I am not. (laughs) Then who is? I am. So you're delivering us. I am not. (laughs) Then who is delivering us? I am is delivering you. You're doing it? No, I am. No, it's almost like a Alban and Costello routine, right? And yet that's what's going on. Moses says, I am not, but I know the great I am. Can I tell you what your name is and what my name is? Now, you may call me Tony, but let me tell you what my name really is. I am not. And you know what your name is? I am not. You and I are the big I am not. But because we are now children of God, we have a promise that Almighty God, the great I am, is with us. And the great I am invites us to join him. And because of that fact alone, We can have hope in every situation of life. We can have courage to press on through the difficulties of life. I've often shared this story, but um, this is whenever all these truths became a reality in my life most. Um, I grew up in a home. I was a middle child and surrounded by really brilliant siblings, National Honor Society, honor roll kind of siblings, super brilliant, super sharp, super smart, quick-witted. And so here I was among all these really smart family members, and I wasn't that. I was slow, couldn't read, not all that intelligent, at least I didn't think I was. And I can remember many conversations around the table as they're just having different kind of conversations. And finally, I would want to jump in to the conversation. And I was always two or three subjects behind. And because I often stuttered, um, my stories just took forever. And I'd be dragging off telling what happened to me that day. And, and I can remember one of my siblings going, Mom, would you just tell him to shut up? And then you put on top of that some demeaning things that mom would say about my intellect. And as a kid, I believed a lie. And this is the lie I believed. Tony, there's absolutely nothing you can say that anybody else wants to hear. And so I became this backward, withdrawn, shy little boy. And to be honest, that's why whenever I became a teenager, I turned to alcohol and became an, a drunk because why? I thought I was more outgoing when I was drunk, and I was. But then, when I was 20 years old, I became a follower of Jesus Christ. I discovered the grace of God that I was completely 
loved. I'm completely accepted by Almighty God. And Almighty God is calling me to join him in his great work on this world. And it just radically changed me, gave me confidence in Christ that I'd never had before. But can I tell you something? That whenever the stresses of life and the pressures of life come upon me, you know what often happens? I revert back mentally to that little boy. And all of this came to a head about 19 years ago. I had been called to be the senior pastor of this church. And I was following one of the greatest preachers, Bobby Atkins. And Bobby is just an incredible communicator of God's word. And, and I wasn't all that. And so each week as I'm sharing and trying to do the best that I can, you know, um, people are like, oh, he's not Bobby. And then you start getting these emails just how I'm not all that. And, and then people start leaving the church. And, and man, it became stressful. And I'm realizing, oh, man, I, I, man, I may have bitten off more than I can chew here. And, and, um, and I can remember... Every week coming up to the pulpit with this thought, Tony, there's absolutely nothing you can say that these people want to hear. And I started believing him. And I said, I got to quit. I got to resign. I'm going to kill this church. I've got to leave. God, you made a mistake. And so it was one week like that, that I was about to resign that Sunday. And I just, I just, dug into the word of God. I was studying Moses because I related so much to him. And as I was reading the book of Exodus, it was like God spoke this verse, this rhema directly to my need. And God gave me this promise. It's, it's Exodus chapter 34, verse 10. Look at it. Then the Lord said, I'm making a covenant with you. Before all your people, I will do wonders. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. And I took that verse and I printed it out. I made it my screensaver. I taped it to the pulpit. I, put a fr I framed it and put it in my office. And I claimed it and believed it and prayed it and stood on it. And I didn't quit. And you know what? The church didn't die. It didn't decline. We now have nine weekend services, and Silverdale is the largest church in the tri-state area. But can I tell you something? It has absolutely nothing to do with me. I am not, but I know the great I am. And that is the same for you. You and I, we are not. But you know I am, and I am. Almighty God has promised to be with you. Jesus' last final words is, I'm not leaving you or forsaking you. So how do you make it through the storms of life? You put your hope in I am. You go, where do I find hope? God says, I am. I'm not smart enough. God says, I am. I need a fresh start. God says, I am. And nothing's real. God says, I am. Who do I trust? God says, trust in I am. Who's on my team? God says, I am. Uh, God, God, nobody's listening to me. God said, I am. My marriage is sinking. Where do I turn? You turn to I am. My kids deserve more. Okay, give them I am. I'm pouring into others. Who's pouring into me? God says, I am. Listen to me. We are not. And when we come to an end of ourselves and realize that we are not, but we put our hope in the great I am, you're more than enough in Jesus Christ. That is the key, and that is how to find hope in hopeless situations. I don't know what storms you're walking through. 
but I do know that Almighty God is working. And he's given you precious promises to stand on. And he's invited you to a bigger story than yourself. And whenever you understand how great God is, you're going to have hope in hopeless situations. You have hope in a name. And that name is Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ is the great I am. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands, and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale, and we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please, stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.